What's up, everybody? Um, How Talk Radio here again. Giving you some uh, late night current events. Uh, it's going to be a short live, but uh, hope you enjoy. So let's get into it. We got an Ebola outbreak in Uganda. Let's get into it. Hard Talk Radio, live in 4K. of Health confirmed Tuesday an outbreak of Ebola virus disease. The confirmed case, a 24-year-old man, passed away on Monday. He lived in Mubende district, located 150 kilometers west of Kampala. When he reported to the hospital, he had the symptoms suspected to be of COVID. The patient was isolated, I mean Ebola. He was isolated. The sample was taken. On 18th of September, the results came back yesterday evening to confirm the Ebola in the Sudan strain. It remains unclear how the victim became infected. The World Health Organization said Uganda last reported an outbreak of Sudan Ebola virus in 2012. The authorities are closely monitoring the situation. Got information regarding the community deaths, which our epidemiologists went on ground to ascertain. Unfortunately, they were not confirmed, they were buried. However, the pattern is it was within the same family three adults and three children. According to WHA Uganda, eight suspected cases are currently receiving care in a health facility. Dr. Diana Twini urged the public to remain calm as she spoke to the press in the capital. I want to assure the public and the international community that Uganda is well known for handling epidemics. And therefore, we have capacity, we have the skills, we have what it takes to contain this Ebola. And so we want to ask to stay calm and, and let you know that we are going to handle this epidemic precisely. Ebola spreads through direct contact with the blood, organs, and other bodily fluids of infected people. Authorities in DR Congo, which neighbors Uganda, said in August a new case of the virus. It's crazy, man. Insane, man. Insane. Uganda has declared an outbreak <clears throat> of Ebola after 24-year-old man suspected have died from the disease, tested positive for the Sudan strain of the virus. The World Health Organization announced today, September 20th. The man lived in the country's central Ludi district and died after displaying symptoms including diarrhea, high fever, abdominal pain, and vomiting blood. Reuters reports. It is still unknown how he contacted the virus, but six other individuals in the district also died earlier this month. <coughs> of what locals describe as strange illness now thought to have been Ebola. The Associated Press reports there are currently eight other people in the country with suspected cases who are receiving treatment. 
The WHO is working with Ugandan authorities to investigate the source of the infection and is sending staff isolation tents and additional supplies to the area in states in a news release. In a news release, Uganda is no stranger to the effect of Ebola control. WHO Africa Regional Director Matsushido Muti says in the release, Thanks to its expertise, action has been taken quickly to detect the virus. We can bank on this knowledge to halt the spread of infections. The Sudan Ebola virus has caused four previous outbreaks in Uganda, the largest of which occurred in the year 2000 and resulted in more than 200 deaths. According to the WHO, the last reported outbreak of the Sudan strain was in 2012, but an outbreak of the, of the Zaire strain occurred more recently in 2019. The reservoir species for this outbreak, or the animal from which the Ebola virus was originally transmitted to humans, has not yet been officially identified. Ebola is a spread through the contact of infected bodily fluids or contaminated materials and causes an often fatal hemorrhagic fever. The Associated Press reports the WHO states that the case fatally rate the case fatality rates of the previous Sudan Ebola virus outbreaks varied between 41 and 100 percent. Although ring vaccination, the practice of inoculation, inoculating the close contacts of confirmed Ebola patients using herbo vaccine has effectively controlled Ebola outbreaks. The Democratic Republic of Congo, it has only been approved for the use against the Zaire strain of the virus, not the Sudan strain that's currently spreading in Uganda, according to the WHO news release. It adds that the... Uh, yeah, may be effect, prove effective, but this has not yet been tested on the Sudan strain. The WHO also adds that the early treatments of the disease can significantly lower the risk of death. Okay. So, hope everything, you know, goes well in taking care of and treating this Ebola virus. And, um, you know, precautions are taken. Alright, on to the next story now. Let's see what's going on in Ireland right now. Very similar to America, I see, though. Very similar. Because what's going on there... What can I say? Is what I would... I would say it's ridiculous. I would definitely say it's ridiculous. Let's get into this. One second. Yep. Radio live before K. Pledging to help during a crisis is one thing, but actually being able to provide that help is quite another, as Ireland is finding out during the Ukraine war. Just a few months into this conflict, not only has the Irish government earmarked a shocking 2.8 billion euros during a cost of living crisis, but we have even exhausted our accommodation options already, with pretty much every willing hotel in Ireland being turned into a direct provision centre. This has understandably left some people frustrated and annoyed, asking how come the state can find the resources to help Ukrainians, but not the 10,000 homeless Irish people who have been in need.
10,000 homeless Irish people. You, your own countrymen and women and children are, don't have homes, but you're going to give them to the Ukrainians, refugees. This is what I'm talking about, man. And they're and they forcing this around the globe, in European nations, and in America. Okay? Like I said, I really do think this is NWO. New World Order tactic. You want, you know, this chaos to the point that the system breaks down. Okay? In all different aspects, especially with immigration. And you know, they're trying to get white supremacist Nazis into these countries, especially like Ireland. And Republican Irishmen have talked about this. Okay? That they're trying to bring Nazis over to Ireland. ...of housing for years, which is, of course, a very reasonable question and not at all racist, despite what Justice Minister Helen McEntee would have you believe. Even from some refugees' perspective, the situation is less than ideal, with asylum seekers being forced to sleep rough in the streets due to a lack of accommodation. So, in short, Irish people across the country are starting to feel annoyed and neglected by their own government. Sleep on the streets. Okay. And many refugees are being promised accommodation that we simply don't have and are being kept in subpar conditions. Even for the ones who have accommodation, some Ukrainian women and children are currently being forced to stay in a cold, wet military camp in County Meath. And recently, the government was even considering putting Ukrainians into a literal abandoned prison as accommodation. I don't know about you, but that's not exactly what I would call the red carpet treatment. Being put into a rundown, abandoned jailhouse, it's not really the Ritz, is it? And in fact, speaking of fancy hotels, I decided to conduct a small investigation this week regarding the safety back in Ukraine. Now, to be clear, that country has been through an awful lot, and of course, the war is still ongoing in many areas in the east, so far be it from me to trivialize that situation. But in some places, such as Lviv and in the capital city of Kiev, things are rumored to be much more calm. So to get a sense of this, here's a map by War Mapper, with the red parts representing areas that are either contested or controlled by the Russians. Granted, the surrounding areas can be dangerous too, and who knows what sudden advances can take place in a war like this, but as it stands, that's the general combat area. Meanwhile, here is the capital city of Kiev in the middle, and here is the city of Lviv in the left. Now, it can be kind of hard to tell distances when you're looking at an unfamiliar country, so I'll put it this way. Kiev, to the nearest danger zone, Zaporiza, is 434 kilometers away. How far is that exactly, you ask? Well, it's about as far as Dublin is from London. So, pretty far. You wouldn't really panic if you heard about a riot happening in London because it's far enough removed from you that you don't really have to think about it. And the city of Lviv is even further away again. Lviv is roughly 700 kilometers from the fighting. Again, if you want a visualization of this, Dublin is around 700 kilometers from Amsterdam in the Netherlands. That's how far removed this area is from the main combat. So as an experiment, I decided to ring up hotels in these areas out of curiosity and ask if they had accommodation for a group of, say, 30 people. And this is what they said. You can keep speaking. My name is Gala and I'm the sales department. What can I do for you? Hello, one of your colleagues just uh, put me through to you there. Um, I was saying to her that I was interested in maybe booking several rooms at your hotel in, in Kiev in the next, say, month or so. And I was wondering if you would have capacity for something like 20 to 30 people, like a reasonably large group. 20 to 25 rooms will not be a problem, as I can see from availability. 
is it, is it relatively safe in Kiev at the moment? It is quite safe, to be honest with you. We have reopened since July, and we are ready to assist the guests uh, as much as we can. Uh, yeah, of course, there are air raids, uh, these uh, sirens on, but uh, yeah, it's quite safe. I'm living here <laughs> myself, so to say. So, so you think you would have capacity? You, you think you'd have enough rooms for 20 or 30 people? Yes. If it's that safe, look, this, this, you can look on Twitter. I've said it before. People are partying in Kiev. Everybody's having a good time. It's not so war-torn as they tell you. Send them back. Send them all back. Get your Irish citizens and put them in housing that they've been waiting for for years. Well, that's uh, as much as possible, so yeah. <laughs> and I have a small group of about 20 to 30 people, and I'm just wondering if something like that could be possible, if, if you guys would have uh, capacity for that? Uh, yeah, yes, it's not a problem. We have 121 uh, rooms in our hotel. Is it safe in Lviv? Uh, yes, right now it's, uh, it's more uh, safe in Lviv, yes. In, in, in Lviv we have, we have normally situation right now. Would you have capacity for 20 or 30 people? We have rooms and we have uh, apartments uh, with kitchenette, uh, so it will depend on you. We can uh, offer both type of uh, accommodation. And and is is it reasonably safe in Kiev? Would would you say there's significant uh, risk of, of danger at the moment? I would say it's uh, okay now in Kiev. So apparently there are large parts of Ukraine where things are quote normal and safe according to the people who live and work there and where they have hotels which can take large groups of at least 30 people or more on short notice. After learning this I decided to ask some Ukrainian refugees if they would be willing to go home if things were calm back in their home country. I hope uh, that uh, the war in my country finished and I back to my home and to my family. If uh, in my country uh, will be um, peace, yes, uh, we are uh, going to, uh, to home, to home because uh, my parents stay here, uh, and uh, it's my uh, native country. If you had the option to go back, would would you would you go back? Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, I would. One guy that we spoke to said that he'd rather stay here, but even he admitted that most people he knew wanted to go back and that he was an outlier. If you had the option to go back to Ukraine, do you, do you think you would take it? Uh, the main uh, reason why did I leave the country was uh, that the economy situation would be awful. That's the only reason I left. So uh, I don't want to go home. I'll, I'll try to settle in there. I know a lot of people coming back because uh, they don't want to learn language. It's a great difficulty for them. They're just sitting here. That's the reason they're coming home. And by the way, as a brief aside, I just want to say that the Ukrainians we met were some of the loveliest people you'd ever encounter. Really, really friendly and gregarious, and many of them expressed their intense gratitude towards Ireland and the Irish people, which was very welcome. Ireland supports us very much, especially provides accommodation for us, long-term accommodation. Uh, as I see, accommodation here is a serious issue right now. So. 
it's all I need. Recommendation, I've applied for a job on the second day I came here, so everything is great. This uh, country, uh, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much for um, your help, uh, because uh, Irish people is very kind. I, I like this country. They um, take care for me and give me opportunity to work here. So they... It's great, yeah, you like the country, but at the same time, you're putting other civilians, you know, Irish men and women at a disadvantage at the same time. Yeah, you like the country, but at the same time, you're causing, you know, this is going to cause some hatred and racism and build resentment. Now, I'm not saying that all Ukrainians are bad, but at the same time, again, you do have Azov Battalion to worry about. And they're not going to come in there with guns and everything. They're going to sneak in, be, you know, no guns, nothing like that. Just intelligence that they have in their head. Communicate with each other. And they're going to slowly take over. Alright? You could do your own research. Look on different alternative websites. You're going to see how people are speaking out and they're fed up. Okay? about what's happening to their country and how they're they're suffering okay yet you know Ukrainians come over and they're getting all the benefits that it belongs to the Irish citizens so much as they love this country they need to start rounding them up and sending them back before it gets bad especially if Azov Battalion gets a death grip a good hold in, within Ireland especially in law enforcement and politics. They seem to be lovely people. This is in no way a criticism of the refugees. We spoke to one teenage kid, a very talented photographer, whose father was still fighting in Ukraine, and your heart would break for him. So God bless all of these people. But you have to ask, does what we're currently doing really make sense? We're driving ourselves to the wall financially. We're neglecting our own people who are in need. We're keeping many Ukrainians in cold, inhospitable conditions. And refugees from some countries are even on the streets after we promised to help them. And all the while, there are empty hotels back in Ukraine in areas that are safe. And the Ukrainians themselves are saying that they'd prefer to go back home if they had the option. If we're spending billions of euros anyway, wouldn't it make more sense to relocate the refugees to safe parts of their own country? And that way, they don't have to go to another culture where they don't... Again, like I said, I, I really think this is just... An NWO. I really think. I really think it's NWO. All these European leaders, they're all in. They're all in line. They're all following their script. Okay, because what they're doing does not make sense. Okay. You. They have hotels and areas in Kiev large enough to house them. Send them back. Your own people are suffering. But once again, I really think it's like that. They just want to get these Nazis and these uh, European nation, nations. They'll be their um, their soldiers, and they could do whatever. They could really, when they want to tear their mask off fully, and like this is NWO, this is what we are. They're gonna use them. I really think that's what it is, like a cultural jihad. You, the man just said himself. It doesn't make sense. Send them back. We're wasting money. You can't even house most of them. And you got Irish people on the streets. As well as re Ukrainian refugees. ...don't speak the language, and their children's education is being disrupted and so on. 
How does it make sense to turn every hotel in Ireland into an asylum centre when there are safe hotels in Ukraine which are sitting half empty? I know that taking in the refugees gets our government brownie points on the world stage, but do we really want praise or do we want to actually help? Do we want a pat on the back from NATO or do we want to do what actually makes the most sense for everyone involved? Instead of always doing the mindless woke thing, can we have a bit of cop on for once and do the sensible thing? Please like and share this video. And if you enjoyed it, please consider signing up for a month. This is what I'm saying. Common sense. Common sense. All right. You can't help everyone. And it makes more sense. You know, you have resources. Okay. Resources are something that you can serve. You don't just be liberal with it and just give, give, give till you're broke. You don't do that. That's not how you handle things. All right. At all. A sensible way of doing things at all. Alright. Alright, let's get on to the next story right now. Still stuck in the Ukraine. Let's get with this now. Distortions, Ukraine war, distortions, dishonesty, and disinformation. Ah, boy, the lies they're saying from Russia. Uh, I'll take a look. Khan, thank you. 77 years ago, UN members agreed solemn principles in the UN Charter, vital for international peace and security. They undertook to refrain from the threat or the use of force against the territorial integrity or the political independence of any state. Yet, seven months ago, President Putin invaded Ukraine illegally and without justification. He ignored the resounding pleas for peace that I heard in this council on the 17th of February. Since then, Ukrainians' spirit of defense and defiance in the protection of their country... I'm sorry, I can't really listen to this nonsense. I really can't. I mean, I had respect for this channel, but for that type of news reporting, but uh, they're, they're just... They're just... Uh, this is nonsense now. Ukraine, for the spirit... Do they know that they would, they would shoot a black person like you? They don't like you. And you're trying to say that, you know, Russia's the bad guy here with Ukraine. Yet Ukraine is very much pro-Nazi. NATO is pretty much evil. Look into the history of NATO. Alright, I'm not going to even talk about that. But this right here, I just can't cope with it. No, I'm not, I'm not listening to that right now. But, um... Let's get into this story right here when it comes to uh, the women in Iran that are protesting uh, after a woman died because she refused to wear her headscarf. I'll give my full view of that.
Here we go. Tests have broken out in several parts of Iran over the death of a young woman in the custody of the morality police. On Tuesday, Iran's morality police arrested 22-year-old Mehsa Amini. Her crime was not wearing a headscarf. Under Iran's Sharia law, women are obliged to cover their hair, and offenders often face fines or even arrest. According to witnesses, she was beaten up inside a police van, and they then took her away to a detention center. She then collapsed while in detention. And after spending three days in coma, Amini passed away in the hospital. Iranian authorities have rejected all claims of torture, saying that she fell ill while waiting for other women. We have not received any report about the beating of this woman by the regulatory bodies. We are aware of this incident, whether it happened or not. Basically, they do not have the means to beat anyone. This means that they do not have a baton or a means to strike. But her parents say otherwise. They say their daughter was perfectly healthy and did not suffer from any chronic medical conditions. Her death has now sparked protests across the West Asian nation. Hundreds of protesters gathered out around the University of Tehran shouting, Woman, Life, Freedom. On Sunday, Iranian police used tear gas and arrested several demonstrators. This is the northwestern Kurdistan province where she lived. Over 500 people protested there, smashing car windows and torching rubbish bins. On Sunday afternoon and by Sunday afternoon, the Persian hashtag Mesdamini reached 1.63 million mentions on Twitter. On Monday, fresh protests broke out in several universities in the Iranian capital. Students rallied, demanding clarification on how. Amini had passed away. Some women have filmed themselves cutting their hair, while others took off their hijab and burnt them in videos. In my opinion, they should remove the hijab altogether. Anyone who likes it can observe the hijab, and anyone who does not like it does not need to wear the hijab. The public backlash was so intense that President Raisi has ordered a probe into her death. Filmmakers, artists, athletes, political and religious figures have taken to social media expressing their anger against the morality police. Former President Mohammad Khatami called on the authorities to put an end to actions against the law. Grand Ayatollah Bayad Zanjani denounced what he said was an illegitimate action. We are. This is what, um, Unfortunately, this is what women go through in Middle Eastern countries.
okay? Unfortunately, this is what they go through. And um, I never understood why black women would want to be Muslim. I never understood it. Because this is how they treat their women. Okay, in Iran. You know, this, this how it goes down. Alright. I never, I never understood how come feminists never go over there to try to fight battles like this. You know, serious battles. Like what's going on in Iran with these, with, you know, what women are going through in Iran. They always want to mouth off here in the U.S. about nonsense when you have real issues to fight. Like, go over there, you know, help out these Iranian women that are going, going through what they're going through. But... They want to fight battles where there's no real battle at all. They want to be warriors when there's no real fight. Um, I feel bad for women over there in Iran. They really have no uh, rights to be treated as human beings. Alright, next up. Creepy stories, man. Creepy stories coming up in New York City. Let's go. Well, like I said, things you find in suitcases, man. for the boyfriend of the 22-year-old woman whose remains were found late yesterday stuffed into two suitcases in her apartment. Obviously, news reporter Shantae Lanz live at the scene in East New York with our lead story tonight. Shantae. Well, friends tell me that that 22-year-old woman was sweet and humble. Meanwhile, police entered her home of horror, finding blood in the bathroom, a meat cleaver, and her... told security they had not seen her in weeks. Police say when the guard went to check, he was blocked by two men. One of them was the woman's boyfriend. 
When the guards went downstairs to call police, they snuck out. Detectives believed with a bag of evidence. It makes me scared to even be around here. Like, I, I'm just sick. Friends say she moved in two years ago when the affordable housing building first opened. Neighbors say they heard fighting two weeks ago between the couple. Police say she was in a relationship off and on with her 23-year-old boyfriend and that he violated her protection order. Hope they find him. are still searching for that woman's boyfriend. The medical examiner won't determine how that woman died. Also, they are trying to invest. They're investigating this right now as a possible homicide. So, the fact is, this is something like ladies got to be careful who they are dating. All right? That's what it is. You know, this is affordable housing. Um, some of these, some of these women are not. I'm not trying to judge them, but some of these women are not. Some of them are not too heads too wrapped too tight, and some of them be picking the wrong type of dude. New York City people are being put through psychological torture with all this crime. I don't, that and it's like they're picking men that are not suitable to be boyfriends for them. Once again, this is affordable housing right now. So you get all types of people. Alright? Some of them are not good people. Alright? Affordable housing could be sometimes for the mentally ill, usually for single mothers, usually they go for women. Um, you know, I work in New York City, so I know what I'm talking about. And these women sometimes are not dating upstanding men. That's just, that is just the, uh, the truth of the matter. Alright? Alright, up for the next one. See what the FBI gotta say about some nonsense they are pulling. Alright, here we go. Okay, so this is what they're saying now. Child sex abuse cases no longer priority for FBI amid January 6th investigation whistleblower claims. The FBI is sidelining investigations to child sexual abuse in order to pursue the January 6th probes and is inflating the number of domestic extremism cases across the country. Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee claim in a letter Monday citing whistleblowers. The committee's letter was spearheaded by ranking member Jim Jordan and was addressed to the FBI director. Hold on one second. The FBI director Christopher A. Ray. It comes on the heels of another committee letter that cited whistleblowers claiming the FBI was pressuring agents to label cases as domestic violent extremism even when they didn't meet the criteria for the definition. One whistleblower cited that it cited in the letter was told that child sexual abuse material investigations were no longer on FBI priority and should be referred to local law enforcement agencies due to the Bureau's focus on January 6th, the letter claimed. So basically they just all working together to uh, 
basically try to have the Democrats win the next election. It's basically what it is. Alright? You have predators, okay, being enabled by the Democratic Party right now. And you're worried about January 6th, which should be the January 6th rise, which should be a thing of the past right now. It really should be. Since we have child tra child sex trafficking, human trafficking period on the rise. Okay? That should be our main priority. But no, it's January 6th for some reason. Such a poster is not only such a posture is not only a dereliction of the FBI's mission to investigate the violations of federal law of federal laws, but it's a grave disservice to the victims of child sexual abuse and other crimes that do not advance the FBI leadership's political agenda, Jordan said. The same whistleblower stated that the FBI was using its Washington field office, WFO, to redirect January 6 cases to field offices in various states while still standing while still handling the cases from Washington DC in order to create the illusion that domestic extremism is rife across the country. The manipulative case file practices creates false and misleading crime statistics instead of hundreds of investigations stemming from a single black swan incident at the Capitol, FBI and DOG, Department of Justice officials point to the significant cases in significant increases in domestic violent extremism and terrorism around the United States, the whistleblower said. A host of Democrats have claimed that domestic terrorism is the biggest threat to the U.S. is facing. President Joe Biden last year said last year that the domestic terrorism from white supremacists is the most lethal terrorist threat in the homeland and has echoed that sentiment in more recent speeches. Attorney General Merrick Garland has also highlighted that the alleged threat saying the number of open FBI domestic terrorism investigations this year has increased significantly. Jordan requested the FBI provide the committee with the WFO's documents relating to January 6th, including all orders issued by the office to other field officers to open investigations and the number of FBI agents involved in January 6th cases. Please provide the information as soon as possible, but no later than 5 p.m., October 3rd, 2022. We, rem we remind you that whistleblower disclosures to Congress are protected by law and that we will not tolerate any effort to retaliate against whistleblowers for the disclosures. The letter concluded. This country is going to hell in a handbasket. truly is. And it's disgusting. But this is why people have to stock up food and water, homeschool your kids. And um, you're in for a rough ride. That's basically what I could say. Because the government is no longer caring about kids. They want to care about these uh, overextended focus on January 6th. They're really trying to crush the right. That's basically what it is. Any uh, right-wing voters from threatening their chance of re-election. This is how desperate and dirty the Democrats have been right now. Okay? Because they know they have done everything in their power <coughs> at, the, the expense of you, at the expense of American citizens to try and get Democratic votes from illegal immigration 
this uh, drawn out proxy war with Ukraine and Russia. Um, bringing in Ukraine refugees, bringing you refugees from, um, south of the border. Uh, not caring about if these refugees kill people, they just want democratic votes. Okay? Having drag queen story time, they want everybody trying to vote Democrat. That's the issue here. Now, here's another story. Last one. Oh, actually, I have more. One more. U.S. government new central bank digital currency is fast-tracked to digital concentration camps. The Biden regime has published a comprehensive framework pushing a private central banking control, um, I'm sorry, pushing a private central banking controlled central bank digital currency, the CBDC, to replace the paper fiat dollars we are all used to using currently. At the same time, attacking decentralized cryptocurrencies, the Biden White House says that before the end of the year, all Americans need to be herded into the new diagram, the um, new digital paradigm of money that is controlled from the top down, just like the current system, except with more control. CBDCs are digital currency issued directly from a nation's, a nation's state's central bank and serve as a legal tender, writes Kanuka, the great of the Kanoka newsletter. Critically, the CBDCs are controlled by the governments and therefore represent the polar opposite of ideas. Decentralization, open source software, permissionless peer-to-peer -peer transactions that made Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies such a revolutionary technology. Much like how communist China runs its infamous social credit scoring system, Biden's proposed CBDC will be tied to people's identities. As long as a person obeys everything the government says, he will be permitted to spend money and do things. Those who disobey the government would have their CBDC account shut down and their funds seized. According to the Atlantic Council's Central Bank Digital Currency Tracker, 112 countries representing over 95% of the global GDP are exploring the CBDC as Kanekoa, the Great. 11 countries have already launched a digital currency, including Nigeria and numerous Caribbean nations. 14 countries are testing pilot programs, including South Korea, Thailand, Saudi Arabia, Sweden, and China, which is set to expand its use of digital yuan in 2023. If you think the current system is oppressive, a CBDC paradigm will be much worse. Bitcoin evangelist Anthony Pompolano described it is one of the greatest violations of human rights in history. Central bank digital currencies remove the privacy and decentralized nature of physical cash. He wrote in an article about the subject. It creates the environment where central banks have complete control over every aspect of a citizen's financial life. These central bankers will be able to see what's in your bank account, when you transact with, what you purchase, and anything else they are curious about in your financial life. Pompolino goes in his piece to explain that there will be zero privacy in the new CBDC-controlled system. All major power players would have virtually limitless control over the masses, forcing certain behaviors in order to live and do business. <coughs> The full transparency with the state removes all elements of privacy 
while going while also giving the institutions the ability to censor any and all transactions regardless of whether they have a limited a legitimate reason or not he further writes federal reserve bank of minneapolis president neil kashari has admitted to all of this and more he participated in a recent panel hosted by columbia university during which he explained how the new CBDC paradigm will expand authoritarian co um, control over we the people. If they want to monitor every one of your transactions, impose negative interest rates, or digital tax customer accounts, he suggested you can do what um, you do that with a central bank digital currency. You can't do that with Venmo. Theoretically, a person who speaks out against um, you know what we're going through right now could be punished in this manner the same is true for someone who drives beyond the carbon limits established by the government in the future the possibilities of tyranny are endless there you have it man there you have it okay and a lot of people um a lot of people think that uh joe biden was the greatest selection i mean Presidents are not elected, they're selected, and this was bound to happen either way. I mean, it could have came through the Republicans, you know, they just would have found some way to dress it up, but, you know, I don't think they would have been more believable because the Republicans are the ones who are, you know, for capitalism and free market, so it had to have been through the Democrats because the Democrats, uh, they're more smooth when it comes to this type of stuff. They're more, communism is more their thing. Communism is more their uh, way of smoothing it with the masses who um, like to swallow this type of stuff, being dependent on the government. All right. That's basically how it goes. All right, last story coming up. riding mass transit nowadays with one attack seemingly happening after another. Last night, police say there were two completely unprovoked attacks at the Barclays Center subway station. The, uh, the same man punching a woman in the face and slashing another woman in the face with a razor, and then he got away. It was another troubling night for mass transit in New York City. Police say just after 7 o'clock yesterday evening, a 19-year-old man was shot in the left leg after getting into a fight on an A-train platform in Cypress Hills, Brooklyn, near the intersection of Pitkin and Grant Avenues. He was taken to Brookdale Hospital and reported to be in stable condition, but the shooter got away. Just about an hour earlier, one woman was slashed and another punched in two random subway attacks involving the same exact suspect. The violence all on the Atlantic Avenue Barclays Center station in Brooklyn at around 6 o'clock yesterday evening when a man slashed an adult woman in the face with a razor while she was standing on the northbound 5 train platform. Investigators confirming the same man went to the mezzanine level of the station and punched another woman in the face. No one is in custody. According to statistics released...
piece by the NYPD, transit crime is up 45.8% this year to date, with 1,110 incidents reported in 2021 and 1,618 reported so far in 2022. This all coming just a week after the MTA announced a surge in ridership. Last week's numbers, while still below pre-pandemic levels, showed 5.6 million people taking the bus and subway, the highest those numbers have been since the onset of COVID-19. Okay, and pay close attention to this while those NYPD numbers do show that transit crime is up year-to-date. Transit crime is actually down, surprisingly enough, compared with pre-pandemic. People are going to have to start protecting themselves, and this is all... This is all due to the bail reform, all right? This guy is just, you know, going around shooting and slashing and punching women in the face. Years ago, that man would have been curb stomped. All right, curb stomped out of his mind. <coughs> and people would have held him down until police came. That would have... That was the norm back in the day, but now, due to this bail reform, I mean, you see what happened with this Axe dude, he was, you know, he was let out, okay? Now, let's see, New York is becoming a place where people are going to have to protect themselves. It's like a Streets of Rage video game for uh, a lot of people now. That's what it's going to look like. It's basically, <laughs> I mean, it's an old Sega Genesis game, but they, they brought it back. But that's what, that's what New York City is looking like right now. Due to bail reform, crime, it's out of control. And women are just going to have to learn to protect themselves. And I don't know what's going on, but a lot of men are not going to be sticking up, I guess, these days. I don't know why. To protect... Uh, women from these type of psychopaths okay well i said the stream was going to be short and i hope you guys were informed about what's going on in this uh our society and um that's about it anything you want to know about um the channels in the description box feel free to like share and subscribe later